RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It's Shabam, sponsored in part by Google. All right, so where were we? Last episode, we left off with Nadine, Elliot, and Owen breaking stuff and stealing solar panels. Dude, you need to work out. <sighs> you want to climb up here and do it? I think someone's coming. Then there was some running. Go. <laughs> but everyone made it safe. Well, that was freaking nuts. You really weren't joking about that Krasinski stuff. Was that Mrs. Krasinski? Yes, Owen. That was Mrs. Krasinski. And so were the ones at the van and in the alley. But now they have a solar panel so they can make their own power. How many Krasinskis is that? At least six. And the next step is to mount it on the roof. So who's going to the roof to mount this? Oh! What? Gross! What? There's bird poop all over the back of it. But there's a bigger problem. Oh, no. Uh... We have a problem. To find out what that problem is, we took a little trip. Approaching your destination. To Silmar, California. No, 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 keep going. No, no, no. This is where the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has a water treatment facility. What we wanted to know was what would happen to our water supply in a zombie virus outbreak scenario if there were no healthy people at the plant. Zombies, okay. We spoke to Melinda Rowe and Dale Kawai. We do have a large distribution system. We serve 4 million people. Dale is a filtration plant associate engineer Melinda is manager of regulatory affairs, and she worries about keeping the water flowing in emergency situations like a huge earthquake. Keeps me up at night, you bet. (laughs) Which brings us to the topic of this episode, dihydrogen monoxide. No, it's not called that. It's called water. Scientists call it dihydrogen monoxide because when two hydrogen atoms bond with one oxygen atom, you get... It comes out of faucets, which are everywhere. We can buy bottled water in nearly every store these days, and there's tons of other drink products that are available that have water in them. Like electricity and cell phones, we've gotten used to it always being available. And it's always available because there are water treatment facilities, like the one in Silmar, all over the country. And they not only supply water to people's homes, but they also supply it to the factories and the stores that make drinks and other stuff that have water in them, like smoothies and cherry... Machi, I don't know what those things are. Ice cherry macchiato from Mel. When it comes to the question of what would happen to the water supply during a zombie apocalypse, Dale and Melinda told us two things. I made you walk up the stairs for nothing, actually. Well, they gave us a long tour and they told us a whole bunch of things, but here are two big things that we learned. You need people to keep the water running. If we had no people around, it would shut down. And two... Stockpile water at home. I really recommend seven-day supply. Because if there is a large-scale disaster, like an earthquake or a hurricane, or you're stuck in your home during a zombie apocalypse... You're pretty much on your own. now? Ugh. Almost. You stay inside and cover the window. And it's on my shirt! Just wash your hands in the toilet! I'm trying to listen. The point is to get my hands cleaner. It's clean water, pretty much. Not after you use it. Just use the water from the tank part. Wait, isn't that what they kept telling you? What? That during the earthquake, that the water was going to come back on soon. Yeah. Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, the earthquake, 1994. Wait, that was the same earthquake where the, the hospital lost power and then someone had someone forgot to fill the tanks with diesel? Yeah. So you didn't have any power? Yeah, baby. <laughs> and? Wait, so what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's 1994 and there's a giant earthquake in Northridge. Our home is two miles from the epicenter. There's lots of rattling, there's lots of smashing, there's things that are breaking. Believed to have been centered in the San Fernando Valley And uh, the power goes out And the water goes out And so for the next few days They keep telling us the water's going to come back on The power's going to come back on But it doesn't 
But here's the good news. Over our toilet, here's the best thing that happens. We had this big bowl of potpourri, which is, you know, flowered, scented, dried out leaves. That fell off the top of the toilet into the toilet. So you could whiz in the toilet and not stink up the whole house. So that's the first thing. But you couldn't poop in there. You had to find somewhere to poop. So through practice, one could learn how to poop into a plastic bag. Oh, oh my God. Wait, so, wait, did you, you pooped in bags? Yes. And then what did you do? Then we buried them ah, to, be, to be dug up at a later time. Oh. No, 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 no. Where did you bury them? Where in, did you bury in them? The in, back, your... in the back garden. Oh, God. Wait, and then, wait, and then when did you dig them up? I don't remember the digging up. I hope we did, because we sold the house a few years later. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Those poor new owners. Oh hey, oh, hey, honey, I think somebody buried a bag of money back here. Okay, clearly water's important. Oh, my God. Now, without it, it's hard to do things like poop and wash your hands. But water is important on an even more basic level. Remember, we're 60, 70% water, and if you're a baby, even more. Your brain sits in fluid, blood is mostly water. Water, water, water everywhere. To function properly, your body needs... Wait for it. Let's put it this way. The human body can survive without food for like three or four weeks, but it can only survive without water for maybe three or four days. In survival, there's something we call a sacred order, which is the order in which you should do things to help your body to stay healthy. That's Dan Baird. He's the head instructor at the California Survival School. He trains people on how to survive in the wild. And the sacred order is an easy way to remember the steps that you need to take so you can stay alive. We call it sacred because life is sacred. So the order is shelter, water, fire, food. Shelter, water, fire, food. That's the sacred order, dude. You may be asking, why is water number two? Isn't water the most important thing? It is, but the reason why shelter is first in the sacred order is that without some sort of protection from the environment, like a jacket or some shade, your body wastes resources. When it's cold, your body will start shivering, which wastes energy and uses up water. When it's hot, you're sweating, which means you're losing water. So shelter is important to save water. So if I'm in a situation where I can't get water out of my sink or bottled water or something, if there's some sort of disaster or I get stuck, lost in the wilderness somewhere, there's two things I need to know. I need to know how to find my water. I need to know how to make sure it's safe and clean to drink. When it comes to finding water in the wilderness, Dan's advice is pretty simple. Water runs downhill, so go downhill. And then look for plants. If I, those two things kind of come together, that means there's a lot better chance I'm gonna be able to find water. Now, Elliot, Nadine, and Owen aren't going to be walking around the concrete jungle of L.A. looking for low-lying areas with wild plants. That's called a storm drain. For the kids, the obvious first step is to consolidate what they have to drink already. What do we have left to drink? Well, this lovely pile, which includes a six-pack of Diet Rubens Cola from 2001. Rubens Cola? Uh, these 12 or so assorted bottles of water, the rest of Dad's prune Yuck. juice. Ugh. I don't see how that's going to last us more than a few days. What do we do? If you're in a house surrounded by zombies or in the middle of a natural disaster, you need to look for water in different places. We should have filled the tub up with water when we had the chance. Well, we didn't. Guys, think. Where else could we get water from? I think I could make it past the Zinskis and get to the store. No, that's crazy. We can't go out. Think. We used the water in the toilet tanks for washing already. No, we only used one. The other one is full of bird poop. How was I supposed to know the water would be off for four days? Poop in the water actually brings us to the second part of getting water. Perhaps the biggest challenge with water is separating the water from the bad stuff in the water. And this has been a problem since the dawn of humans. 
Why did you poop in that part of the river? I had to go. But I'm drinking in the part of the river that comes after your part. So, well, I'm drinking your poop. Uh, are those supposed to be Neanderthals? Yes. That is the most ridiculous thing ever. But it's totally accurate. We don't even know if the Neanderthals had the language. All right. Yeah, okay. That was 100,000 years ago. Now, fast forward 100,000 years. And guess what? Poop getting in the water is still a problem. If you remember from episode one, Jon Snow figured out that poop in the water from the Broad Street pump was spreading cholera around London. Then Jon Snow died, and it took the next 30 years for scientists like Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch to convince people that diseases were actually spread by little organisms that we can't see, like Vibrio cholerae, the bacterium that causes cholera. Hey, nice to meet you. I look like a squishy comma. Hey! We know from episode two that you get sick when these little guys get in your body and start multiplying like crazy. We're making you poop a lot. That's how we get around. <laughs> and we also know from people like Louis Pasteur that boiling the water kills these guys, making even poopy water safe to drink. I spent summer in Africa, and a lot of times all I had to drink out of were big, um, muddy pits where a bunch of zebras or other animals had been laying and pooping and stuff, and there's just a little bit of muddy water left over, and that's all I had to drink. Which is why fire comes after water in the sacred order. And so I made fires and I boiled that water in containers. Even though it was muddy and kind of gross looking, I drank it and because I boiled it, killed all the bugs and I was able to drink and it was okay. You might be thinking, well, isn't it convenient that Dan found metal containers in Africa so he could boil water? In a survival situation, you don't even need metal containers to heat up water. You can use plastic bottles or paper cups. As long as it's not touching the fire itself, if it's just over the heat, it won't break, it won't burn. You can even fill up a trash bag with water. I could open up that plastic bag and I could put a bunch of hot rocks that have been in the fire for an hour inside that are super hot. And as soon as you put those in there, they'll start boiling the water and the bag won't break because the water around the rock keeps it cool next to where the bag is. Now this sounded fantastic, so we did a little experiment. But instead of going out into the woods and building a campfire, we just used charcoal briquettes to heat up some rocks for about 30 minutes. Yeah, it's been lying in these coals. Then we took those rocks and we dropped them into the bag full of water. We'll drop it in this bag and see if it's gonna bust through the bag. So here we go, ready? And I'm happy to report that it actually does work. So there, there's a bunch of different ways to heat up water that aren't your normal ways of doing things that you would expect. And heating water is definitely the best way to clean it. Now let's get back to the kids. It's been about a week since the water went off. Check the radio. See they only have a few bottles of drinks left. It's too dangerous to leave the house. And it's also too dangerous to make a fire because they don't want to burn the house down or attract zombies. So at this point, the kids know that they need to find a lot of water that is already safe to drink. If we were at my house... My dad has like three 50-gallon drums of water sitting in the garage. For what? Emergencies. <laughs> like if the water gets cut off. Your dad sounds paranoid. We got new ones when we moved. The old ones used to leave. The hot water heater! Genius! What? Remember last year when dad replaced the hot water heater after it leaked and flooded the basement? What am I missing? So in a no running water scenario, a great place to get a ton of drinkable water is your hot water heater. It's just a big tank of warm tap water that's ready to use. That's a 40-gallon tank! Great idea, Owen. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to find out how clean tap water is. 
Okay, let's say you're in the woods and you need to survive. What's the first thing that you do? Do you make a fire? Do you get water? It's very simple. Just remember this. Schwa, fi, full. Shut up, water, fire, food. That's the sacred order, dude. Shut up, water, fire, food. Everybody just do schwa, fi, food. important thing for survival. But it's second because without shelter like a jacket for the cold or some shade from the sun, your body wastes water. Then fire. Fire is great for disinfection. No fire, then filter. Last thing is food. You can go a long time without food, so just forget about it. Before the break, we talked about how water is the most important thing for human survival. And the two biggest survival challenges when it comes to water are finding it and making it safe to drink. And the fantastic thing about water that comes out of the tap is that you don't have to worry about either of those things. So where does the LADWP get their water? From an aqueduct that comes from the mountains. From 330 miles up north from uh, the Sierra Snowmelt. But they still need to clean it. We mentioned that heating water is the easiest method to make it safe. The problem is that heating water takes a lot of time and uses a lot of energy. When you provide water to 4 million people, you're treating 4,000 gallons of water every second. Now think about that for a second, 4,000 gallons. Now go to your fridge, look at one of those milk gallon jugs, 4,000 of those would cover half a tennis court. That's how much water needs to be cleaned every second. So you don't have time to wait for the water to boil. And you want to conserve energy. So how do they do it? Well, if you need to make your water safe and you don't have a way to heat it up, the first thing to do is to try and filter it. Filtering is really good and there's ways to easily filter your water, you know, after an emergency. You can get cheesecloth and run it through and, you know, coffee filter at least will help get rid of a lot of the large particles. And filtering is actually the first step in treating the 4,000 gallons of water that the LADWP treats every second. First large grates called bar screens take out the big stuff. The bar screens right here catch all the big things, fish, twig, the branches. But we have caught two dogs, a couple deer in there. We did catch one person in there. Wait, what? He must have somehow got into the aqueduct. We're not sure because we're completely fenced off here. You should never, never go into a rushing river like the aqueduct. Once you fall in, it's very hard to get out. So once you filter out all the people and the algae, step two is to get rid of the tiny stuff like dirt and silt. We add the chemicals in the water. So chemicals are used to make these particles clump together. To form a larger particle. Now you get a finer screen to filter that stuff out. Then step three is killing all the bacteria and viruses. Remember, the water is constantly flowing. They pump ozone through it, which kills bacteria. They bubble up the ozone through the water. They zap it with UV light, which kills more bacteria. UV disinfect the water. And they put other chemicals like chlorine and ammonia to keep it disinfected. And then the final finished clean water gets pumped through various pipes and eventually ends up in your home where some people complain about the taste because it tastes like it got chemicals or slimy almost sure it's cloudy and it has an odor it's not very clean now to be fair there's thousands of different treatment facilities around the country getting water from all different sources supplying tap water to millions of people and we played clips from four of them now you're making me second guess my choices five of them <laughs> 
But the results of a recent survey show that half of the U.S. population think that tap water is unsafe to drink. And two-thirds will not drink from the tap. And that's crazy because it's clean, it's practically free, and there's no plastic bottle to throw away. So why do most people still not trust their water? Well, as we mentioned before, treatment facilities are just the beginning of the line. Which brings us to two other things that we take for granted when it comes to water. Pipes and people. When those pipes that bring water to your house aren't safe, or if the people whose job it is to monitor the water and make sure it's safe don't do their jobs, then you get... Flint, Michigan. In Flint, the pipes that brought water from the treatment facility to the residential neighborhoods were installed before the 1950s and were made of lead. And by the way, lead is terrible for you. Whether you've been exposed to it a lot in a shorter period of time or a little bit over a long period of time, it's bad. In 2014, the people in charge of water for Flint wanted to save some cash, so they switched water sources from Detroit to the cheaper Flint River, which was also dirtier. Then they stopped treating it correctly, and it began stripping off the lead from the old pipes, and without even knowing it, residents began drinking water with high levels of lead in it. Initially, if you are consuming lead, you might have things like sort of loss of appetite or this metallic feeling in your mouth or anxiety or muscle aches and pains. But then later on, it can affect basically every part of your body. Your bones don't grow properly. Your blood doesn't work properly, so you become anemic. Your nervous system doesn't work properly. Even your brain doesn't grow properly. You can have seizures and you can even die. It's one of the worst environmental toxins we know about. And people did get sick. They complained about the water, but nothing happened for almost a year. In fact, they were being told by officials that the water was safe. Eventually, fed up residents reached out to a water scientist from Virginia Tech University. Mark Edwards is a Virginia Tech researcher. We found the worst lead in water contamination that I have seen in 25 years. And believe me, I've seen a lot. And he formed a team that would end up going out and sampling the households of Flint. He walked into the meeting with a, a bucket full of, of water samples that you could actually see the lead. It looks like a snow globe. One of the students he recruited for the team was Maggie Carlin, who at the time was a sophomore. Part of her research involved going into people's homes and taking water samples. We did three different samples. And here's another example of how doing things scientifically helps you get to the truth. No one knows where the lead pipes are. They could be in the house, or they could be in the line coming to the house, or somewhere else. That's why the Virginia Tech team always took three samples. What we did for our sampling was we One. took like a first flush sample. The first flush sample is the first sample, and that's the water that's been sitting in your faucet overnight. Think about it like that's like when you get up in the morning, the water that you take to you know, have a first glass of water, or you put in the coffee pot, or you know you brush your teeth with. Two. Then we looked at 45 second flush. So after running the water for 45 seconds, Looking at that sample, that's essentially the water that's, you know, in the pipes in your home. Three. And then the final sample is taken two minutes after the first flush. And the last sample is supposed to be representative of the water that could be coming from your water main or your service line. Now you have a rough snapshot of water from the faucet, the pipes in the house, and the city's pipes. And then these samples are brought to the lab and tested. So depending on what samples show what results, scientists can get a better idea of where the lead is and how bad the problem is. And for a lot of Flint residents, the problem was pretty bad. Hazardous waste levels of lead coming out of her tap water. With the samples and data that they collected, the Virginia Tech team was able to prove that the lead levels in the water of Flint were totally unsafe. And finally, clear state of emergency in the city of Flint. The water was deemed unsafe and residents began receiving emergency bottled water instead. And it breaks my heart to see piles and piles of bottled water in every house I go into, in every church I go into. 
it's just really sad because people shouldn't live like that. Because clean water is a basic human necessity. And the key to getting clean water to millions of people is A, making sure your pipes aren't made of poison, and B, making sure the people in charge of the water take their jobs seriously. Like Melinda Rowe back at the LADWP. Yeah, yeah, no, we take great pride in, in the, you know, the water that we produce and, and we know that it's clean, it's healthy. And so if we catch employees you know, drinking bottled water, we usually give them a real hard time. <laughs> okay, let's get back to our kids who just discovered that they have 40 gallons of lead-free clean tap water to drink. Great idea, Owen. But how much water do they actually need to survive each day? So for years, the recommendation by doctors was that people should drink eight, eight-ounce glasses of water a day. That's half a gallon. But you know what? That was mostly made up. Studies have shown that this amount can vary a lot from person to person. And in survival scenarios, you can get by on just like one quart or 32 ounces per day. That's a fourth of a gallon. Unless it's really hot or unless you're exerting yourself, for example. Don't we also get water from food? Yes, but we use water to metabolize or break down food that we're eating. So if you're eating watermelon, you're going to gain more water than you use. But if you're eating something like a steak, no matter how juicy it is, your body uses a lot of water to break down that steak. So you're actually losing water. So we have to start rationing. Ugh. What about for washing? The, the problem is rationing is only helpful if you know how long you need to last. You could still run out of water even if you set aside... Ten gallons for washing and the rest we drink. We don't know how long we're going to need water. Why don't we start with five gallons for washing? Come on. I have to brush my teeth at least once Guys, a day. what are we doing? It's been almost two weeks of just sitting here, waiting in the dark, and there are more and more infected people in the street. There's a good chance our parents think we're dead. Shut up, or Elliot! They're dead. Shut so either way, up, no Elliot. one is coming. You don't know that. Why would you say that? Listen, if our parents are alive, they're in a safe zone. That's what the guy in the radio was talking about. That's where Sheila and Matt were going when we decided not to go with them, and that's where we need to go. If we stay here, we're just going to run out of water and food, and then be forced to leave when we're even more hungry and thirsty. What if mom and dad come back after we leave? That's a chance we have to take. I say we pack up as much food and water as we can fit in the car and head out in the morning. Owen, what was that base we went to on that field trip two years ago? Vanderbilt. You mean Vandenberg? How do you know they're at Vandenberg? I don't, but the radio guy said people were being evacuated to military bases and we know where that one is. We've been there, but- Wait, who here knows how to drive? Uh, nobody? Uh, not true. I've played Grand Prix 6 at Jake's house. <laughs> like a lot. I think our odds are better staying here. Well, this is the perfect opportunity to talk about what happens when you actually get dehydrated. Um, lots of things start to occur. So first of all, your body wants to protect its brain above everything else. So you suck all the water from your cells all through your body and bring it back into your bloodstream so that that blood can go to your brain so that it can get oxygen and can get nutrients. But the downside is that is that all those cells in your body start to dehydrate. When you start to get dehydrated, your mouth starts to feel dry and your pulse starts to quicken and you get a little bit of a headache. And as it progresses, you can get sunken eyes, you can become irritable, your skin loses its tone, and your saliva gets more and more thick to the point where it can start sticking to your teeth as your tongue starts to shrink. You might have ringing in the ears, and that headache can get more severe and more severe, and then there's not enough fluid, there's not enough blood circulating so that your kidneys actually start to shut down because you're supposed to have a lot of blood supply to your kidneys and filter out all the bad stuff. So they start to break down. Again, the brain is number one. So everything wants to keep the brain alive. So then your kidneys stop working. And so all those toxins start to accumulate in your body till finally you can have confusion. And then if 
you don't get help soon, your heart starts to beat faster and faster, your breath becomes more rapid, and finally, you'll die. Okay, so here's a question. In the interest of rationing and conserving water, should you drink your own urine? You know, should you just run it through one more time? Make sure you get everything you need out of it? All right, so uh, that is a great question. So the one part of your body that has a little reservoir of fluid that you could potentially drink is your bladder. So you could, theoretically, pee into a cup or two and drink it. And experts are sort of divided on whether that's useful at all because the reason you're excreting that urine is because it's got lots of toxins and lots of salt in it and drinking salt water is not necessarily going to make you better. But if if you're really well hydrated at the beginning of this period where you started to get um, dehydrated and you just drink that first piece of urine that comes out, it might be so dilute that it's useful. But after that, it probably does more harm than good. The kids aren't about to drink their own urine, a fact that Elliot has brought up a number of times. Elliot's right. Hmm, sweeter words were never spoken. Owen, we need to go. But I'm scared too. If it makes you feel any better, so am I. But just a little. Okay, so let's bring it all together. For people to survive, there are four things we need. Shelter, water, fire, food. In that order. As we mentioned, water is number two only because without some sort of shelter, your body wastes water. And water is the most important human need. For most of us, safe drinking water comes out of the tap and is available on a daily basis, assuming that our local and state governments take their jobs seriously. So when the water stops flowing from the faucet, we're essentially in survival mode. The kids have shelter, check. They have a bit of food, check. And they can probably even make a fire if they needed to. But without more water, they're not going to survive very long. Okay, are we ready to do this? First stop, my house. Will the kids make it? We'll find out next time on Shabam. Uh, how are we going to get the car out of the garage? With the clicker? Oh, good point. There should be a manual release for the door at the top. Owen, Elliot, get in the car. Sure. Leave the passenger door open. I'll open the garage door and jump in. I don't like that plan. Shabam is produced by C.C. Herbert. Your hosts, Mel Herbert, Josh Kurz, and Wendy Rodois also created the show. Recording engineer mix master is Bill Connor. Our voice actors are Rose Sengenberger, Steve Santucci, Chase Salwinski, Dave Mason, and Art Kimbrough. Elliot, as soon as I'm in, floor it. Got it. Okay, new plan. Can we figure it out before we die from carbon dioxide poisoning? Special thanks to Dale Kawada, Melinda Rowe, and Crystal Chacon from the LADWP, Dan Baird from California Survival, Maggie Carlin from Virginia Tech, and reporter Reed Frazier. Also featuring the musical stylings of Matt Eccles and St. Cecilia. We go through it? Do you think we could? Dad's not going to like that. Shabam is a production of Fuliboo Incorporated. This episode of Shabam is sponsored in part by the making and science team at Google. And why is that, Cece? Because Google loves science. Go! Why aren't we moving? I don't know. It's in park! R, Elliot, R! I never tried backwards in Grand Prix oh, 6. God, I'll do it. You steer. Hey, Shabamas. Here's another quick zombie tip. Water is the most important thing. You gotta find water. So stockpile it, don't waste drinkable water. Look for ways to filter or boil non-drinkable water and continue to support Shabam. Uh, which means, which means gold. That's right. 
or go to patreon.com slash bam. What is Patreon anyway? It's super simple. It's an online tool that allows you to support us, and then you get cool stuff and updates in return. Move on. Anyway, and then go to iTunes, uh, which is, uh, so, three things, uh, subscribe, review, like, nailed it. And then website, shabamshow.com. You just go to sub subscribe to the YouTube channel. What else did I forget to do? If you can't do that, it's just a small kind of thing would be, is if you just work Shabam into every conversation you have with anybody. An example would be, oh, congratulations on the baby. You know, in nine years, she might like this uh, podcast that I listen to called Shabam. Uh, another example would be fettuccine. <laughs> I love fettuccine. That reminds me of Shabam, which is this podcast that I've been listening to. Shabam! 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 podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network